Welcome to Pilot Boys, the podcast we review the first episodes of TV shows, otherwise known as a pilot. My name is Caesar, and I have two guests. My name is Michelle. And I'm Gabriel. Alright, so today we're doing Disenchantment, the new show by the creator of The Simpsons, Matt Greening. It was created by him and Josh Weinstein. And it stars Abby Jacobson from Broad City, Eric Andre, Nat Faxon, and John DiMaggio. But before we get into that, what have you guys been up to? Wait, Michelle, I'm curious. Did you watch that one Netflix movie by any chance? Oh, The Boys, I've loved before. Yes, I saw it. By any chance, are you keeping up with Sharp Objects? Yes, I am. I watched the latest episode today, and it was crazy. It's almost as if we've done this before. It's almost as if we are re-recording this. I don't know, maybe we're in the Matrix. Yeah, maybe. What about you, Gabriel? Uh, I watched my first, I guess you can say, anime show, and it was Castlevania, so that was interesting. Oh yeah, you just came back from Iowa. I did, from a two-week vacation in Iowa, where blue lives matter and and racism thrives. Dude, I felt like yawning, like, you saying you were there for two weeks, like, that's how boring (laughs) Iowa is. It's fucking, like, what is Iowa? Like, Why? Because my family. Why? Why is there. Iowa? I don't know. I don't want to know. I'm kidding. <laughs> so, what'd you do besides get really drunk? I read a Batman comic, or a Batman graphic One novel. Comic? A graphic novel, sorry. And then I, I, I think it's War Games. It was pretty bad. It's just the Riddler versus the Joker, and Batman's trying to take control of Gotham. But the writing yeah. was pretty awful. And they introduced a new character called Kite Man. His son died while flying a kite. Oh, I thought you meant like the racial slur. Someone poisoned the string and his son got really sick and died. And that's his origin story. It was so bad. What that's the fuck is that story? Fucking, what the fuck I, is that? I, I don't know, you guys, but it was pretty bad. And then I, I read some stuff by, is it Junji Ito? Yeah. Yeah, I read some of his short stories. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Got some material all the way. I watched Crazy Rich, Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, how was that? It was good. I was. It was good. I really enjoyed it. I just thought that. Uh, I mean, it's a rom com, but it, I think it's an important. You're not really into that genre. It's not even that. I just think that it's. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. I just think it's one of those things where it's hard to move past the genre, so it's kind of limited by the genre, but. Overall, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. It was funny, and it was like cool to see like Asian representation mm-hmm. in like such a big way for the first time, and no one really knows. And I also watched Black Klansman, which I guess we, sh- me and Gabby, should talk about it now because we were like arguing about Wait, it. Wait, has Michelle watched it? No, no she hasn't. Oh, but we, wow. I think we can talk about it without spoilers. Was it good? I really liked it. I thought it was really good. I didn't know that guy was. I didn't know that guy was Denzel's uh, son. Yeah, I mean, Black Klansman. For those who don't know, is a new Spike Lee movie about a cop who goes undercover as a Klans member when they're in like kind of a silent period, which is like the mid seventies, late seventies. Based off a true story. It is, but I thought it was one of Spike's like best works in a while, especially coming from Chirac, and then uh, she's got to have it. Like, I thought it was good. I, what don't you like about it, Gabby? I felt like 
how can I say this without spoiling it? I just didn't feel like some parts, like Adam Driver's character is obviously he's undercover. That's what the whole movie's about. He's infiltrating the KKK. For Michelle, it's Adam Driver. Po- so the guy's name is Ron. He's like a very ambitious cop, and he wants to take down or like he wants to be on the force, but he gets stuck like being like a paper jockey or like a paper. He's doing page. like clerical work. And yeah, so then uh, they finally give him an assignment, and he has to like infiltrate a speech by Stokely Carmichael, who's like a very avid and ex Black Panther, but he's like an avid, outspoken Black Power uh, activist. Mm-hmm. And then he he after that he looks up, up up the KKK and sees like how he could join, but what he does is. He speaks because he has like the quote unquote white voice and Adam Driver goes as him. So they think that he, that he's him. So that's the premise of the movie. Okay. And but what Gabby didn't it? like, Gabby's saying that he didn't like the moments where like the suspense of them finding out that because Adam Driver is Jewish mm-hmm. and you know, the KKK hate like the Jews and all other colors and creeds. Yeah. But he's saying he didn't buy the suspense. Not all the time. And even like when it was really building up to it, they just kind of left it hanging and it didn't really go anywhere. Especially like towards the end, I was waiting for that moment, but it didn't happen. See, I think that's interesting because I think the genius of the movie, or I should say the genius, but like what worked for the movie is you know that he's not in the same amount of danger that Ron would have been in being a black person under the KKK, like trying to infiltrate the KKK because he's still white. And he's still passing as like a, even though he's Jewish. Yeah, he's and, he, still, and then Ron like, brings that white. up. Yeah, Ron brings that exactly. up in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that you didn't buy it as much is a little bit a part of it because you're you're tricked into thinking that it's super dangerous because Ron is actually the one kind of spearheading the operation, but Adam Driver is the face of it. So it's kind of like it's like a Trojan horse for race in a in a way. Like Adam mm-hmm. Driver is the the fake wooden horse. But inside is Ron Stallworth, like leading the the entire operation. So, it, of course, it's going to be easier for him. And that tension, I felt it, but I, I can see where you're coming from. But one of the things I do want to talk about is uh, there's been a lot of criticism about the movie. I shouldn't say a lot, but there's been some criticism about the movie, saying that it like paints cops in kind of like a decent way, like it it, it portrays like cop hero narratives. In a time mm-hmm. where we're like anti-police, but also there's history behind like Spike Lee taking money from an ad campaign for the police. So some people are like Boots Riley, the guy who directed "Sorry to Bother You." He wrote like a little, a little three-page essay about how, and mind you, Boots Riley is like an avid. He's pretty much like a Black History historian because he grew up in Oakland. Um, and he basically said that like it does more damage than good, but I don't know. I think, well, I think he's he's right in some points. I also think that the movie isn't like an ad campaign for the cops. I think that there's there's a lot to it. I definitely think that's a reading, but I also think that like they show that the cops treated Ron like shit, and he like he was allowed to be like a complicated person in that he's he was seen as a race traitor a little bit 
because you know he speaks white and like he's not like anti-cop anti-establishment which at the time the counterculture was moving towards that so he's influenced by what stokely carmichael says so i think that it's a little more complicated than just saying it's like an ad campaign ad campaign which i'm not to say that boots riley doesn't understand that i'm, I'm sure he does but he, it probably just didn't it didn't hit for him which is understandably like i, I get and then i think it's also like important to say that he was the only black officer in the force like the movie starts off and they're trying to recruit a black person to join the force to make them more diverse yeah like that's they immediately show that he was just he was just like a diversity hire but i mean i think the movie beyond that story has a lot of like reference to what's going on now yeah i think that's the stuff that people like the most but i won't Mm -hmm. tell you i won't spoil that for you michelle okay well anyway that's enough of that so, this show is Matt Groening's latest animated show, which I don't think he's done anything new since Futurama. I think those are his biggest shows, but what, like, first impressions, what do you guys think? I thought it was actually pretty funny. I didn't, I mean, I honestly uh-huh. didn't expect going into it for me to even think, like, I was going to laugh throughout the show, but there was more than once where I thought some of the jokes were pretty funny and yeah it was kind of like it's really raunchy but not too raunchy like family guy and it's i think it's also very like it's pretty clever in the way like it delivers some of its material but i also like some of the the animation i didn't like it like at all i didn't think it was funny i wasn't i don't know i didn't laugh at all i didn't find well i won't say i didn't laugh at all i laughed like maybe like two three times but i didn't i don't know it didn't do it for me i kept laughing at the the elf names yeah i thought it was fun i I thought i really i thought it was good i enjoyed it i mean it's it's cool to see like a new animated show because i haven't seen anything that that's excited me since like rick and morty but i I mean it wasn't it's not as Oh yeah, Bojack is great too. But I mean, Bojack was Bojack out is amazing. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Or I mean, that's not true. I, I'm 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 lying because Big Mouth is good too. But uh, I'm excited. I'm ex- I was excited for it because I liked Futurama a lot, and I I view Futurama the way that like people view like diehard Parks fans view it. Like The Simpsons never hit for me, but Futurama did, and I used to love Futurama. So I'm like, oh, that's that's cool to see that like Matt Groening is trying something else. But the first thing that struck me and like immediately was like the show is really quiet. Something with the mixing made it kind of quiet, and it was probably because I was listening to it on headphones. But like, there's usually like background music or like rustlings in the background in The Simpsons or Futurama. So this one felt quiet, and I don't know how I felt about that. It felt like. It was just them recording in the studio and didn't really feel as the world didn't feel as filled out to me, which is a weird like critique, I think. But uh, overall, I thought it was I thought I enjoyed it. I thought it was funny. Like I like the like there was a lot of Futurama esque type jokes where like uh like one person would say like a one liner or like it was like ridiculous when like he. The princess she's supposed to marry stabs himself, and then they're like, 
keep quiet like we're trying to have a marriage uh wedding over here i thought that was it's, hilarious it's very like uh it's like a game of thrones parody like some scenes make yeah it very I'm, obvious that that's what they're playing uh they're making fun of yeah i'm glad you brought that up because the first thing we see is the main character what's her name bean yeah she's like obviously a callback or a call to khaleesi she looks just like her well that and in one of the scenes of the throne had like the the, the sword thing like going on yeah yeah and then the brother, I mean, the the king and the queen that they were trying to make an alliance with were brother and sister. Yeah. All right. So a quick recap. There's two plot lines. There's the one with Bean, where she doesn't want to get married or participate in her princessy duties. And then there's the other plot line with Elfo, who's part of like, what are those cookies Candy loving like elves. Nah, I, I, to me it looked like uh, the elves from those cookies. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I can't remember the brand. Yeah, so they're basically like these worker elves who are like consistently happy with just working. But he wants something else, so he leaves the village. And then his storyline converges with Bean, who was cursed with a demon, who is also kind of like friendly. And then they just kind of escape from the castle, and that's the end of the first episode. So, what did you guys think of the characters? My favorite out of all the characters was the uh, Lucy, the the demon. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think he really added like a whole new element to the whole, you know, little like fairy tale animated like storyline. I expected him to be a lot more, um, like I expected him to, to try a lot harder to convince her, but she already has something in her that's just self destructive. So that's why it's like really easy for him to convince her to do anything. And I really like the the people behind, like um, the people that were watching her from the flames. Right, their scenes were actually pretty funny. <laughs> She's like, "You just burned yourself." He's like, "Yeah, I know. I was there." Or <laughs> <laughs> like, we need chairs, and they're like, "Yes, dark chairs." I I that was so funny. I hate I hate the king. I don't know. Just he irritates me. That's as a Bender. Character. Oh, I mean, it's it's kind of obvious. Like he. They got the same voices for a lot. Like, Billy West. Well, I didn't watch Futurama. He's fry. Oh, you didn't? Nope. I thought the characters were great. I like... I just just think that the thing with shows like South Park and The Simpsons and Futuramas, they know how to create characters. Like, that's not really a thing that people do anymore. But they create these characters that are, like, very specific characters. And... I don't know. I, I I appreciated seeing like character construction like this, where it's not just some IP that's already been established. It's like a brand new thing that's just created from scratch. And I enjoyed that. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why I liked it so much. My favorite character was probably Lucy. The reason why I think I liked Lucy was just like, I guess, the commentary mm-hmm. that like he made like throughout the episode i liked alpha a lot too i I, like his the very nature of the character is like he just kind of fails upwards like things just kind of work out for him like he was just sheltered in the elf one yeah but also just like things just work out for him like he gets on the conveyor belt to kiss the girl and then he like has sex and then he's banished he's like yeah it's fine i just want to leave anyway like kind of just rolls with the punches and then when there was like that war like he just randomly killed the the giant that reminded me a lot of uh was it a troll they reminded me a lot of uh 
itchy and scratchy. Is that what it is? Yeah. This is like really violent. But yeah, I, I enjoyed the way the characters were made. And I, I just think that watching a show like this and watching like Matt Groening, and I think what he's good at is like he knows sitcoms so well because he's worked for, I don't know, like almost over 20 years of just making cartoon animation. And if not more before that, I think he knows how to structure a show. Like he knows how to create an interesting world and structure it so it makes sense within the 30 minute format. Usually 20 minutes before this is 30 minutes. And it was nice to see someone who's like, it's kind of a master at creating character. I mean, even though The Simpsons has died down, he, he knows how to do character animation and like character stories. And it's 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 good to see him get away from The Simpsons because I think that's where he makes better work. I mean, I really like the the at the beginning where they zoom out and they like pretty much show the whole world that they're that it's going to be taking place in. And I thought the castle yeah. looked really cool the way it was done. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think the world like the world building is pretty interesting so far. They have a lot to like really play with. I don't know how I feel about 3D animation. I I like it. Like usually when they use 3D, like you can't really tell that much. But you you like can they tell use it in Futurama. Yeah. But this one's like super 3D. Yeah, it looks it looked weird to me. I didn't really like that either. Yeah, and I think that fed into like those elements. The it being kind of like the 3D not being super great, mm-hmm. and the mixing it sounding kind of quiet. That makes me think that this show doesn't have as big a budget as maybe they had hoped for. Like, they don't have the same score from The Simpsons. Like, mm-hmm. it, it it just seems kind of like a brand new, like a passion project versus, like, a studio-backed project. Oh, strong words. Wouldn't it be backed by Netflix? Yeah, but it's not like... there's di- Well, there's different, like, formats to how you interact with a studio. Like, for example... It's always sunny. They have like full creative control of that show, but they don't get the same kind of backing for certain things because that just means that they take a big bump for pay. They, that means they get paid less because they don't comply as much with what the studio says because they they own creatively what that show is. So I'm I don't know. Maybe this is just speculation, but maybe he's doing the same thing where like he owns these characters because. It's a brand new project, but I don't know what the what the structure of like Netflix ownership or like IP is. So you guys didn't watch Futurama or like what's your relationship with Matt Groening's other stuff? Well, I grew up watching The Simpsons, but I never really got into Futurama. I don't know. Futurama never really caught my attention as much as The Simpsons did. So that's my relation. And how do you feel about The Simpsons now? Uh, I watch an episode like at least maybe maybe once a month on hulu just to see how it's still doing but i don't keep up with it anymore i like the older episodes a lot better than what's on now i watched the simpsons growing up and i watched a bit of futurama not that much probably like the first two seasons as for now i don't watch either of them i feel like i kind of stopped watching the simpsons I remember them, like, advertising the 300th episode or something like that, and I watched it, and I just kind of stopped watching completely after that. I'm not saying, like, the 300th episode was, like, the worst episode ever, it's just I, like, vividly recall watching it and then just dropping off after that. 
I watched The Simpsons growing up a little bit, but I always felt like I didn't watch it enough, like the way, well, especially now that I got older, like most people talk about how like they die by The Simpsons, well, like not the new stuff, and that's also a very common thread is that like most people don't like what's going on now because it's just like series fatigue or sitcom fatigue where it just has gone on too long. I I've seen a couple of videos that talk about like specifically when The Simpsons died. When is that for you guys? I honestly stopped watching maybe like 2011 or 2012. Yeah, I think that's when I stopped watching. I don't. I have no idea, honestly. Yeah. So according to those videos, most people agree that The Simpsons died when Skinner supposedly changed his name kind of like don draper apparently there was an episode i don't remember when it was i think it was like season eight or something where he was like an army veteran or he was in action and then he steals the dog tags of another soldier and then he changes his name and like most people were like what what the fuck is this like it was just such a drastic change and even like the showrunners, like, Matt Groening has gone on record saying, like, yeah, it wasn't one of the best. So, I think what's interesting about this show is uh it's kind of a break from anything he's really done. Like, it's one story that's going to span over however many episodes. I think it's eight. Which is something he's not used to doing. He's usually just, he usually does, like, episodes that are contained within that episode. It's not really... I mean, of course, he's done, like, two-episode things and, like, things like that, but he's kind of taken all he knows about creating, like, interesting characters and worlds, but, like, putting it and telling one continuous story, like a Mm long-form story. Yeah. And I'm interested to see that, if only because he had entertained me so much as a kid. I think the fact that he's still interested in creating something new shows that he is someone that hasn't like lost that desire to create new things besides like what he's already created like i think that's something that most big like creators tend to not create new things after they've made such a massive hit like george lucas hasn't really done anything since star wars and everything Mm -hmm. that he's done even within star wars wasn't great I feel it's just because, like, once you work on something you get a lot of praise for, it's, like, more intimidating to start a whole new project and then not knowing whether or not, like, the audience is going to react well to it. Well, I mean, yeah, definitely. And But, like, the thing is with people like that is that they're so massively rich that they're in a position where they can do whatever the fuck they want. That's true, too. And the fact that Matt Groening is still working to create new things as i don't know i think that's just inspiring it's inspiring to see it just kind of seems like a trend with comedies and animated shows and stuff like that now like i can't remember the last time i saw something that like was just like like a one episode thing where it resolves in one episode i feel like everything is more continuous now i think you're right and i think that might have something to do with the shift in new media with binge watching not even that it's just like new media yes you, i think that that has something to do with it 
But the fact that, like, you get everything at once, no one's going to want to see, like, disparate plot lines if, if you're going to watch it all together. Because that's not the model anymore. The model is to tell one story over, what, ten episodes? Yeah. And everyone's going to watch it all at once. But there's yeah. no, like, real sitcoms anymore that don't tell a kind of connected story. I mean, there are a few, like, one day at a time. But it still has, like, it's a little canonical where, like, they'll do callbacks to other things. But it's not mm-hmm. as, like, streamlined the way that, like, Orange is the New Black or something like that. Yeah. So, the only real theme that is probably present, and I guess it's, it's it kind of spreads throughout the entire thing, the entire episode, is uh, there's two plot lines and the the two characters are just kind of challenging their station in life. Like, they don't want... Or they don't want to go down the road that was set out for them. They want to get away from, you know, being a princess or being a worker elf, and they want to do something else. And I thought one of the the interesting things in that was that they both come from two completely different backgrounds. Like, Elfo is very much in the working class, where, like, Mm -hmm. he is essentially a... I want to say a slave, but he's just like a working stiff like he does nothing else besides work and then the princess is royalty but she likes to hang out with like the lower class or the peasants i should say so there's kind of like a class element involved yeah they're both very unhappy with like their lives and the way it's going this like the pressures that they face because of where they were born or who who their parents are or whatever so they're just trying to get out of that that's pretty much the whole episode, the first episode, and it might be the whole show, too. Yeah, and it probably wouldn't work as anything but, like, an animated comedy. I mean, it might work, because it's a TV show, because it's fake, but... Like, if this was, like, Game of Thrones, we wouldn't really see it, because that's not... You don't really... Things don't tend to work out for people who <laughs> challenge their station like this. Yeah. I mean, it might work out for the princess, but it, for him, like, having these lofty goals of wanting to do something else... It's not going to really work out that much. But, you know, what's interesting is that, like, I don't know, This maybe this is, like, meta, this is, like, a meta reading, but I think that Matt Groening is doing the same thing with the show. Is like, he's already been doing the same for so long, and he hasn't really done anything since Futurama. And I think this show is kind of him, like, challenging himself as an artist mm-hmm. and yeah. doing something else. Like, he's challenging the format of, the, of cartoons that he's made and he's doing, like, a full narrative, like, a streamlined narrative instead of just doing, like, these concise episodes where things get fixed at the end of the episode. Now we got to talk about the issues with Matt Groening. So, there was this documentary. It was, like, a three-episode documentary. And it was called The Problem with Apu, I think, right? I think so. Yeah, so it's just like a documentary talking about like how it's just like a caricature of an Indian character. And I haven't seen it, but the gist of it is just basically this comedian, Hari Kondabolu. He's like he's the he's the face of it, but the director is Michael Melamedov. And it was just talking about like the issues with the character. And he got a lot of traction, and a lot of people were like, yeah, you know, that is, that is like, true. 
But I mean, this was also it resonated with like liberal audiences, but like not with the general audience. Like I'm looking at it online right now, and on Rotten Tomatoes it has 89, which most critics are pretty liberal. But on IMDb, which is an aggregate, an, like an aggregator 2. of like the people, it's a 4.2. Yeah, and then um, even on Google, like Google users, gave it a thirty-five percent. And it also comes; it came out last year, so it's like in a time where people are like against PC culture, and mm-hmm. they see this as like one of the pieces of PC culture. But it's one of those things where like it challenges something that you've known your entire life. It challenges this notion of like this institution of your life where. You've been watching The Simpsons all your life, and this was just a character, and it didn't bother you until someone points out that it bothered them. And it's not like it's not like Harry is saying you shouldn't be allowed to to like The Simpsons because he's saying that he that's one of his favorite shows. It's just like that sucks. It sucks that the only thing that he could align himself with was like this fucking caricature of a person. Mm-hmm. So that came out, and it was doing pretty well. And like critically, I should say. And uh, the guy who voices Apu and the guy who pretty much. Because Mag Raining created the character, but the actors give so much of themselves into a character for voicing them for so long. Like the inflections and like the mannerisms, things like that. Uh, the voice actor was just like, yeah, I'm okay with like getting rid of the character and like he apologized he didn't want to like you know he didn't want to cause problems but then when it got to Matt Groening he was just like he was just basically saying that like he animated into the Simpsons and he used Lisa as the mouthpiece something that started decades ago and was applauded and inoffensive is now politically incorrect what can you do some things will be dealt with at a later date if at all But it's also interesting that he used Lisa because Lisa's not the character that aligns with Matt Groening's views. Like, she's the one who's always, like, really outspoken about all these issues. So a lot of people felt like he betrayed that character, too, because he used her as as a way to convey his message and his thoughts about the character, defending, like... The, the the reasons he was going to keep Apu on, so a lot of people weren't okay with Lisa. Lisa being used to deliver those lines. So... It's basically like Matt Groening like telling people to fuck off, which is you know it's it's so weird because, and this is this is the thing this is this is probably the more interesting bit of the this episode. People, and this is just in general in culture, but people who lead the way for anything, particularly like liberal movements like the civil rights, they become the new establishment. Like, even black conservatives during the civil rights movement, you wouldn't think that people like Martin Luther King are conservatives. You wouldn't think that, like, Malcolm X are conservatives. But compared to today's standards, there are things that we wouldn't, like, they wouldn't see eye to eye to because culture has moved and it's no longer the same. I think it's the same thing with comedy. People like Mel Brooks who is someone who used to push the boundary for comedy surrounding Jewish people. He is now one of these people who says that, like, everyone's too sensitive kind of thing. 
And Matt Groening, someone who was like this huge liberal, mostly, in The Simpsons, is now coming out and saying, like, you guys shouldn't be allowed to be upset. And I think that's interesting because people who were, like, using their anger as a way to get attention became very popular. And I'm not not saying there's anything wrong or right with it. But that became, it reached such a boiling point where, like, everyone has an opinion about it. No one's, like, no one has a nuanced opinion or no one has, like, an understanding where, like, eh, I I get it. Everyone's just, like, you hate it or you love it. That's it. It's a a culture, like, this call-out culture where everyone either hates it or loves it. And I think there are some people who are starting to define themselves or starting to draw a line in the sand where they say we're this kind of person or we're not but particularly with like comedians like those two examples i just gave they're starting to show their age a little bit like they're no longer pushing the edge with like edgy comedy about not edgy comedy and like being edgelords but like edgy comedy in that it pushes a new boundary you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Am I making sense? And do you kind of like, are you saying that Matt Groening's still using the same like tired old comedy and he still thinks that's going to be funny in today's world? It's not even that. It's not even, it's not even about the same old comedy. It's just the fact that like, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that he's no longer at the, like the cutting edge of comedy mm-hmm. because he is now like his politics have already aged a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that the new politics are any better. It's just that he refused to understand new politics the way that he, the way that people who, when he was coming up, refused to accept his politics. And the way that when Mel Brooks was coming up, refused to accept his politics. And the way that when civil rights groups were coming up, people who disliked them refused to accept their politics. Mm-hmm. So now they've become a little older. But then the question is, in an age where it's so difficult, I wouldn't even say difficult, but where it's a challenge to tell a joke that's challenging without an outcry, how do you push the boundary? Do you just say, fuck it on, I'm going to do what I want? Or do you respect and just find a way to adapt? And I don't think there's an answer, but I think it's an interesting question. What do you guys think? I Like you said, I don't think there's an answer i think it's a very hard question to even try to answer because it's pretty subjective to anyone you yeah. ask so it's 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 really hard to even answer that question because again it is it is comedy but like when is like too much too much like when have you gone too far or can you even go too far because it's comedy like that's the whole point of it but I mean, the way we're living in now, people do think there is a line and a lot of people or a lot of comedians are crossing it, but it's all subjective. So I don't know. It's tricky. Yeah. What about you, Michelle? Well, I think the smartest thing would be to adapt. I feel like if you're a comedian and you want people to continue to laugh at your jokes and listen to your stories and stuff like that, you have no other choice but to adapt. I mean, or else, like, you're pretty much just, like, 
yesterday's story. Like, no one's gonna care at that point. See, I could, I would agree to an extent, because, I mean, not to get too political, but like, to say that is to say that. I think there's a false sense of pride in an outrage culture where, like, we overestimate. And I say we because I tend to align liberally, but we tend to overestimate our position where, like, we think we have more footing than we actually have. But it's just, mm-hmm. it, in some in some ways, it's just, like, public, like, posturing. It's not necessarily, like, real power. Because if you say that if you don't adapt you will just become yesterday's news that's not necessarily true because if that was true people like trump wouldn't have a a platform people like you know jordan peterson or like these very fringe groups or like these fringe people gain these new audiences and i think that's one of the things i liked a lot about the new season of dear white people is like being controversial is almost like the new uh like they think of themselves as the new minority because they think that we are just so tired of people who want to police the way that I'm speaking. They found their own audience. And I don't think, I mean, again, it's a really complicated question to answer or like you need, whether you need, whether or not you need to adapt. <sighs> but, but I think I, I get, I get what you're saying. Like when you alienate a group, you're just going to gather another one. Like there's going to be, a certain group of people that are gonna totally be fine with the way you tell your jokes and then there's gonna be another group that doesn't because i mean there's always gonna be people who are okay with them people who aren't yeah so yeah i guess (laughs) that's your response (laughs) what that's your response yeah that's it, Michelle? Just, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. God damn. I, I fucking poured my heart out and you didn't say anything. She's like, like yeah, I did the editing. She responded, K. <laughs> anyway, well, yeah, that's pretty much it. Let's get into the prediction. No, sorry, let's get into the rating. I'll let Michelle go first. So, for the uninitiated, we do broken televisions as our rating scale here. So on a scale of one to five, how many broken televisions does this show, Michelle? I give it a two point five. That's it. Oh. I'm not gonna say anything. I just didn't like it. It wasn't funny. It wasn't that great. Lucy was the best character. That's it. You hear that, migraining? Got a you got an enemy. Eddie was an asshole. So like, I don't I don't care what he thinks. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that too. I'll give it a three. Three broken TVs. I mean, I thought it was funny. I enjoy pretty raunchy anime like or animated cartoons i really like american dad so i mean it kind of follows a similar formula to that so i thought it was funny and i'll give it a three out of five broken tvs so i am gonna go with 3.5 i didn't think it was the best pilot but i thought like i'm excited to see the world and i i mean i'm like a hundred percent behind most of what i wouldn't say a hundred Maybe like 80% behind what Netflix does. I just like that they're giving a platform to creators who have created things and want to do new things with their voice. Um, even if Matt Groening is an asshole and he said all those things. I'm still going to watch it because it looks interesting. And I, I mean, I thought the voice acting was cool. I like that they got people who are big in the moment, like Abby and Eric Andre, who I'm a big fan of. 
All right, let's get into the predictions. So, how long do you guys see this show going for? I want to give it like two to four seasons, maybe. So that's what I want to say. Okay. What about you, Michelle? I think it's gonna go longer. I mean, I don't like it, but I'm pretty sure a lot of people did, and it's Matt Groening and all that. And I feel like his shows go on a pretty long time. And I mean, by the way the show set up, it just kind of seems like an open-ended adventure type comedy. They could get into like all these like zany adventures, and it could just go on for a while. So I'm gonna say about five seasons. Okay. I feel like I'm the most conservative when it comes to predictions. Futurama is any reference. It got canceled twice. Didn't it have like 14 seasons though? I had nine, but it got canceled twice. And it took a long time for it to come back. It took like six years for it to come back. That's why I I see Futurama in like different ways because it came back way later and it was just like a passion project for him. Um, So I'm going to go... I'm going to say two to three seasons because I think it's interesting enough for it to keep going. But Abby Jacobson and Eric Andre are pretty busy people, so I don't know how, how invested they are. This is probably something that they banged out in like two months or a month. It's also really hard to animate, so it takes a while. So I don't know how much Netflix is invested in that. Or maybe they want to build out their animation, which would make sense. All right. So this was 18. Catch us at 19. Anyway, thanks, guys. Passengers, we have landed. Please stay seated. Do not leave the cabin until the pilot has dismissed you. Bye. Bye. Peace.